there, everybody. Do you like to hear some behind-the-scenes stories from some of Hollywood's actors and actresses? Well, head over to electronicmediacollective.com and check out Bull Spit with Moose, where you can listen to Moose sit down and talk to some of your favorite childhood actors and actresses, writers and producers from some of your favorite TV shows. So come on, let's go to get the inside scoop over at electronicmediacollective.com and check out Bull Spit with Moose. Let's see what Moose has in store today. to a truly special episode of Moose's Monster Mash. I'm your host, Moose. I hope everyone had a good Father's Day recently, and my guest today is here to talk about her father, who stole hearts of horror fans everywhere and eventually stole Christmas. Please welcome <laughs> my guest, Miss Sarah Karloff. Hi. That's a great intro. Thank you. Thank you. So, how's life treating you, Sarah? Just great, thanks. All things considered. Being older than dirt, locked up thanks to COVID and dealing with the devastation of, of the riots, I'm doing just fine, thanks. So how is it out in uh, your area? Well, where I live, it's um, which is near Palm Springs, it's... Um, it's 112 degrees, so Ooh. nobody wants to go outside anyway. Um, and we've been spared the, um, um, we didn't have any, uh, riots out here yet. Um, and we've, we've had our share of COVID. Um, I anticipate everywhere we'll have a spike in COVID thanks to the, uh, lack of, um, Social distancing during the during the riots, um, but I we're just fine out here. It's it's a pretty small uh, community, the Coachella Valley, uh, which includes Palm Springs and and Cathedral City and Rancho Mirage and Palm Desert. I actually live in Rancho Mirage, and so we're very spoiled and lucky out here, except for the heat. You can keep it. We've been running on a 90-degree heat wave for about a week here. Mm, where is here? Uh, Omaha, Nebraska. Oh, wow. That's hot there. And it's a really humid heat, too, because it needs to rain, and you can feel the rain coming in, but it won't rain. So it's it's just a brutal heat. Oh, yeah. The, the humid heat is is worse, much worse than a dry heat, except when it gets to about 115, 120 here, I swear I'm going to slap the next person that says, oh, but it's a dry heat. <laughs> it's still 120. It's, like, it's still 120. It doesn't matter if it's dry or dry wet. Dry or wet or whatever, it's still 120. <laughs> We're still in triple digits, dang you. <laughs> yeah, but it's um, it's lovely out here. 
So, before we get into talking about your dad, let's talk about you a little bit. Um, I like talking about my dad more. <laughs> well, it leads into talking about your dad. What got you into, um, I, I guess, carrying on his legacy for the fans? Well, actually, the fans carry on the legacy. Um, in 93, I think it was, the uh, Famous Monsters of Filmland convention in um, uh, Crystal City uh, outside of uh, Washington uh, was held. And, and um, Bela Jr. and Ron Chaney and Dwight Fry Jr. and I were invited. And... Um, it was the first convention of its type that any of us had uh, gone to, and none of us had uh, met one another, and we were curious about what the other guy was like, and we found we liked each other, and um, the fans were just uh, wonderful. Um, they were delighted that all of us were there. And it was our five minutes of fame that lasted the whole weekend. And um, I knew absolutely nothing about the uh, genre or the fandom or anything. I had uh, I had met Forey Ackerman, um, but I knew nothing about this whole convention scene. Somebody asked me if I'd been down to the dealer's room, and I thought they were playing poker. I mean, I had no idea as to what was going on. And somebody took me down there, and, and I was, to my amazement, there were all these dealer's booths, and they were selling pictures of me and my husband on our honeymoon visiting my father on the set of Frankenstein 1970 and other uh, photographs of my father and myself taken with my camera. And I had no idea any of this was going on, T-shirts, et cetera, et cetera. And so that was my... Um, christening into this genre and this business and um it was um i learned about um uh, the laws that protect the families uh rights of deceased celebrities and i learned about conventions and i learned how wonderful the fans were and um um, uh, it, it was a wonderful experience. And so I went home and uh, called up Roger Richmond and said, hello, I'm your new client. <laughs> and uh, that was the beginning. And from there, it's been nothing but absolutely marvelous. The fans are unbelievable uh, in their respect and their uh, love for my father. Um, they know far more about my father's career than I could ever know. Um, they treat me 
with the same respect that my father uh, earned, uh, and it's just a gift to me. I'm I'm nothing but a conduit for these fans who wished they'd had an opportunity to meet my father, and I benefit from um, his legacy um, and his reputation, and the fans are wonderful to me, uh, gracious to me, kind to me, helpful to me. They share these heartwarming stories with me about the uh, influence my father as a person and uh, and his work uh, had on their lives. Um, it's it's. It's so wonderful, the stories they share with me. Um, some of the grandparents bring their grandchildren uh, to these shows, and it's just multi-generational in its appeal. Um, and it's been a constant and continuous learning experience for me. I've learned more about my father than I could ever have read and learned and it's it's just been wonderful for me and um i am so proud of what i've learned about my own father in the last 20 years of of doing two or three conventions a year and the emails i get and the uh stories that have been shared with me that's awesome and like I is that the longest answer to a single question you, you got? You could talk. You could talk all day. I'll sit and listen. Um, because like I mentioned in the pre-interview, it's you know this this has kind of been a you know huge deal for me because now uh my you know reoccurring listeners will know that ever since my very first episode. I have been a standard bearer for the Universal Monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, they, you know, you know, your father, you know, Lon Chaney Jr., and, uh, you know, Bella Lugosi, all of them really set the mark for where horror could be as a genre today. So without them, I don't see that the horror genre would exist in its entirety today. I mean, I'm sure it would have something because everybody likes to be scared. Not everybody. I don't like scary <laughs> films. Um, but, you know, these guys were the kings of horror. And the kings of the time. And when you go back and you watch, I mean, when somebody mentions Frankenstein, your dad is instantly the first image that comes up. Yes. You know, I mean, that's, that's lasting impact. Yes. And he was very grateful for that. He was often asked if he, uh, 
um, minded being typecast? And he said, absolutely not. Uh, he said, it's a lucky actor who is typecast, and actually every actor is typecast into a certain type of role. And if it's not too tight-fitting and too restrictive, um, it, it keeps him a working actor. And my father was and meant uh, that he was very, very grateful to that role because it made a, it was a pivotal difference in his life, both personally and professionally. What many people don't realize is that Frankenstein was my father's 81st film. And as he said, nobody saw the first 80. I love that quote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It, it but basically it's boils down to the 81st time's a charm. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. And he'd been, he'd, he'd done 10 years of repertory theater in British Columbia, sometimes getting paid and sometimes not. And then, um, but that was his training. He'd had no training before. And certainly when he lived in, uh, was raised in England and so he learned, uh, fortunately, it was a quick study, and they do three to five plays a week, and um, that's good training. Um, and then he came down, eventually came down to Hollywood, and he'd been in Hollywood 10 years, and as he said, hardly anybody knew it except him. Um, and he did, uh, you know, 10 years of being a uh, um, an extra and then a bit part player, and uh, finally got a role in in, in the uh, play and then the film of Criminal Code, and and uh, just happened to be on the right corner at the right time after un- the unfortunate, untimely death of Lon Chaney Sr. and then Bela Lugosi turning down the role of Frankenstein. He was on the right corner at the right time, and James Whale asked him to test for the role. And the absolutely magical marriage of talents of Jack Pierce's genius makeup and James Whale's direction and my father's interpretation of the role uh, all went together to make this magnificent, unexpectedly um, uh, cinema history-making film. And, of course, nobody knew if it would be a success. Nobody expected the creature to be the star of it. And my father wasn't even in, invited to the premiere. So it was... Uh, 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 just, you know, my father became a star, uh, overnight after 20 years in the business. Well, and that, you know, leads to the, that leads to, lends to the persistence pays off. There's a lot of people today that after a while probably would have just given up and changed careers. No, my father had perseverance beyond belief. Seems like he had a passion, I mean, he had a fire in the belly. And he knew 
Uh, the one thing he wanted to be was an actor. He was formally educated in England for the British Consular Service, as uh, as were his uh, seven other brothers. But uh, it, he had made up his mind at an early age, uh, no matter how much he was educated otherwise, he wanted to be an actor. And so he left home um, to become one uh, and was the black sheep of the family. And probably the most notable. Uh, well, he had a brother who was knighted for oh, well. his service in the counselor <laughs> service in um, uh, China. And he would refer to him as my brother, the sir. <laughs> my father had a wonderful sense of humor. And never at anyone else's expense. Yeah, I mean, you know, you mentioned that, you know, no one knew if the movie would be a success or not. You have... Frankenstein in 31, Brighter Frankenstein in 35, and both of those were kind of, you know, like today's money, low-budget movies, but here we are in 2020, and we're still talking about, you know, his performance, his role, those movies. Yeah, I mean, what are the odds? That's what makes them classics. You know, and I don't remember the number or the ranking, but I know Bride of Frankenstein, at least, is in the 100 greatest movies of all time. Yes, and I think uh, Frankenstein is also. And Bride is considered to be uh, one of the few films that is con that is uh, classified as a sequel that's better than the original. Yeah. And I, I think at that point, it's just, you know, they knew uh, what they had with the actors and the chemistry and everything. And they said, okay, let's build on it. And they were well, able to make something. Well, my father, of course, objected to giving the monster speech. Um, and he was wrong. Um, and then they added to the cast uh, with... Uh, the blind man, Heggy, and with Fessinger, who was just, you know, so oozingly evil and magnificent an actor. And, uh, it, it just, it was a fabulous film with, and also so irreverent in some of its scenes that how it ever got past the censors and barely did. Um, it's a wonderful film. Oh, yeah. See, and then you were born during Son of Frankenstein. Correct. Now, I would have loved to see the look on the hospital workers' faces when your dad came to the hospital. He, it's, it's urban legend. He did not come to the hospital in his Oh, he did, uh, he, he did change out first? Indeed. There's a very well-known photograph of him in a very respectable suit holding the baby 
with the nurse holding the baby and his looking on at the hospital the day I was born. And, you know, it makes made good press that he rushed to the hospital. But Oh, yeah. But it was not true. They would no more have let him off the set, nor would he have gone to the hospital in his wardrobe, truly, if you think it through. But I know it's an urban legend. Makes a good story, but it isn't true. (laughs) I was reading an interview you did with somebody, and you mentioned the rivalry between him and Bella Lugosi. Mm-hmm. I can't find much information on that. Well, I know Bela Jr. quite well, and we're friends. And um, each of us, from the mouths of our fathers, know that that was just media hype um, to sell the films they made together. Um, Bela, being Hungarian, had his own personal interests off screen. My father being British had his own personal interests off screen. So they did not socialize together off screen. But there was no there was no animosity or rivalry between them. Uh, I know my father had a, a great respect and admiration for Bela as an actor. Um And uh, it simply was not true that there was uh, great animosity between the two of them. And and Bela Jr. says the same thing. Um, I have um, recorded interviews of of my father, and that question is asked. And uh, my father uh, replies uh, that he had great admiration for... Bela and that he was a very fine actor and um, if you think about it today uh, actors uh, who work together for maybe months on a film don't then rush home and go out to dinner together they then go back to their own personal lives and um, um, if they may not ever work together again, or they may work on several films together in the future and uh, and become very friendly offset. But it, it, that's the exception. When work brings actors together, they spend a lot of time together. And when work doesn't, they go on to other work and back to their own personal lives and interests. Well, see, and that, that's what I was thinking. I mean, from everything that, you know, I know and, you know, can find about your dad, he, he doesn't really seem the type to, you know, hold, like, grudges against people. I mean, he seems like a very caring, uh, caring and giving, you know, person. So, like, if, in my, in my mind, when I read Rivalry, it's like, okay, maybe it's a, you know, professional who can put out the better product, you know, if there was a rivalry at all. Yeah. I do not believe there was a rivalry at all, nor does Bela Jr. Well, that is awesome because that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, it really does. The the role that seems to get overlooked a lot, he uh, was Emotep in The Mummy. Yeah. It uh, Again, that's 
one of those early onset roles that, you know, started the horror franchise that, I, I, I don't know, people just tend to overlook, you know, they, they, they think Boris Karloff, it's always Frankenstein. It's like, oh, no, you must have to, come on. Oh, yeah, I mean, I think he's not as well known for the mummy as Frank, as for Frankenstein, but he certainly is very well known for being the original mummy. And, uh, that was as arduous a role as Frankenstein. Actually, that makeup took as long. The Imhotep portion of it took as long as, as Frankenstein to apply and was, um, grueling. And, um, when uh, they, uh, completed the, um, wrapping, uh, which had to be done layer by layer and moistened and dried and layer by layer. My father pointed out that they neglected to put in a fly. So they had to do a, a bit of an adjustment before they could go on for the long day's shoot. Well, see, and, yeah, I mean, that, that seemed like it would be a uh, much harder makeup to, like, I'd imagine much longer hours in the makeup chair for the mummy. Well, for that makeup, um, by the end of the day, um, my father was completely dehydrated and he collapsed on the set from dehydration because those, the, those bandages, that wrapping just absolutely absorbed all his body fluids. That explains his time his outspoken time in the Screen Actors Guild. Oh, absolutely. That was something that he was so pleased to be involved with. Um, uh, he, he was one of the founding members, and his card number was number nine. Wow. And um, he was so pleased to be involved with that. He, um, My mother told me that they used to go to parties and couples would dance by one another on the dance floor and whisper, meeting Tuesday night at so-and-so's house, and then dance on by. It was really very dangerous work to be involved with the formation of the Screen Actors Guild because those those actors were putting their careers on the line. They were forming a, a union against the all-powerful <clears throat> studios. And... Um, uh, it was very dangerous work, uh, but they felt it very important because they had, you know, actors in those days were just treated like pieces of meat by the studios. And once those actors gained a voice in their profession, um, they felt it was very important to develop a vehicle by which the up-and-coming actors had some form of protection and protest against the treatment that that um, was being handed out. And so that was the reason for the formation of the Screen Actors Guild. It's interesting to think that one of the biggest uh, guilds now started out like a secret society. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was. They used to park their cars blocks away from one another's house and um, um, walked to a meeting at, at someone's house. And they were running the risk of never working again by being involved with that. God bless them. I mean, the, the, the work that the 
the SAG has done for actors and everything over the years. That's crazy to think that, I mean, as long as I've been alive, it's been around, so it's, it's hard oh, to imagine. Oh, indeed, it was formed in 1933. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was um, very, very um, important and and um and grew but um it was very um dangerous for those for those forming members there were 12 for um forming members and my dad remained on the board well into the uh late 40s now your dad had it would appear to be I'm guessing a love for Christmas, or <laughs> did he just he had a love for children? Well, see, I wasn't sure if it was a love for, for children or if it was a love for Christmas or a combo of both. A combination, and he did the um, uh, Macy's Christmas Parade every year, and he donned a Santa suit and visited uh, um, children's hospitals every year. Um. He uh, adored doing Peter Pan on stage on Broadway uh, because he enjoyed the kids coming backstage uh, uh, and and trying wanting to try on his hook. And um, uh, I'm told that um, that during the intermission he would uh, peek out through the curtain to watch the kids try to fly down the aisles. <laughs> That's awesome. He really enjoyed the kids. Well, and yeah, because I was reading that, you know, he uh, would, would dress up like Santa for the at the Baltimore Hospital and give out uh, gifts that, you know, for the disabled kids and stuff like that. And yeah. Then obviously he uh, narrated what is now a oh, Christmas yeah, classic. And was the voice of the Grinch. Correct. And won a Grammy for it. Yeah. I mean, talk about I mean, two holidays. He's got two holidays knocked out. He's got Halloween and Christmas. That's right. If Thanksgiving were bigger, I'm pretty sure he could have knocked one out for that, too. <laughs> True. Well, he 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 just was so pleased about doing the Grinch. My father never brought his work home. He never talked about his work. Um, but he he uh, one night the phone rang. I was married and had two young boys, and um, one night the phone rang and it was my dad, and he said, um, "I've done something." that I I think is pretty good. <laughs> and he said, maybe you and the boys might enjoy sitting down and watching it tonight. I, uh, looking back now, thinking, yeah, it's pretty good. And it was the Grinch, just wonderful. And he really enjoyed doing it. Well, I think that was his first, like, family, family film, wasn't it? Um, no, not really. He'd done Mad Monster Party. Oh, that's right. And uh, he'd done 20-plus children's uh, albums, 
Rudyard Kipling and Hans Christian Andersen and um, all sorts of uh, uh, fairy tale um, albums for children. He had a a radio program um, for Reader's Digest for children uh, for years uh, that he recorded. Um, And then, uh, of course, he did Peter Pan on Broadway. Um, he, um, he, he, when he would guest star on, um, some of the television programs of the day, um, he, they would have him spoof his boogeyman image. And he did a Peter and the Wolf, uh, or Little Red Riding Hood, rather, um, um, on the Rosemary Clooney show. Uh, he did. He did a lot of things directed for children. Yeah, you can definitely tell the love he had for kids. It, it was very prevalent. Yes. Um, do you know where Boris Karloff came from? The stage the name? name. Yeah. My father always said that Karloff came from somewhere way back on his mother's side of the family, and Boris came from thin air. Just decided up. This is the name I'm going with today. Yep, I guess. That's awesome. I guess, and he took it while he was in um, um, British Columbia doing repertory theater, and he never changed his name legally. Well, for the first time in the run of the show, I have questions from the audience. Okay, that'll be great. Uh, Susan would like to know how did having one of the scariest on-screen dads impact uh, your dating life as a teen? (laughs) Really? um, Not at all. Except once in a while uh, people would when I'd be out with a group someplace uh, one time in college somebody stood up one of the um, smarties stood up across the room and imitated my father out loud as Frankenstein. And that was embarrassing. Uh, kids. But it didn't it didn't <laughs> impact my life, except in a positive way. She also wants to know, uh, growing up around the business, did it make you want to be in the business at all, or just kind of shy away from it? Uh, I never wanted to be in the business, but really. Uh, my father... When when he was in Peter Pan, um, arranged for me to come and watch it um, for a week uh, from the wings and backstage and out front. And, and at the end of my visit, he said, well, I can tell that you don't have the fire in the belly because you paid more attention to Nana the dog than you did to me. <laughs> Lee would like to know if your father did anything interesting for Halloween. No. Halloween was an American holiday, and he was British through and through. And um, no, he didn't. I mean, uh, normal trick-and-treaters um, really stayed away from the front door. Billy was wondering if you had a favorite monster beside uh, Frankenstein's monster. (laughs) 
I don't consider Frankenstein a monster. I, he's more a victim than a perpetrator. And um, I just, I truly don't like scary films, so I don't go see them. And um, so, but I do adhere to the same theory that my father did and uh which was depicted in the film Targets, which is my favorite film of my father's, that the real horror is happening on the street and not up on the screen. That's especially true today. Absolutely. It's as it's as relevant a film today as as the day it was film, uh, shot. It's a brilliant film and my father is essentially playing himself, an aging horror film star. And uh, um, the one thing my father was most offended by was injustice. David Desmolchin asks, what are your thoughts on the culture of horror hosts and uh, creature features? I don't watch them because I don't like scary movies. I think that Zachary was a lovely human being, and I knew him. Uh, I liked him very much as a person, but I wasn't familiar with his shows, et cetera, and I don't watch the the late night shows, um, so I really can't comment. That's cool. The creature feature really helped bring uh you know a lot of the original like universal movies into the forefront of a lot of people's living rooms made it like an made it like an event. Oh yeah, they added a lot to the to the genre and fans' familiarity with the films and the and the actors and the genre. But I personally am am um, you know just because I knew Zachary um, and liked him very much as a person. Um, that was the one person I knew. The rest I've n- I never met, and I just never watched those shows because I don't like scary movies or gory movies. Uh, well, I just don't like that type of film, and so um, and I certainly don't like the um, the gorish movies of today. So I never stayed up late to watch those program or those horror hosts and that's a just a, a personal taste it's not a comment on the genre or on the hosts or on the program i just never saw them yeah so even if it had gore it wasn't gore for gore's sake like a lot of the newer films have well the the films that my father made and that uh bela made and um were not gory and my father didn't like the word horror he preferred the word terror because he felt that terror elicited um, a, a totally different human reaction than uh, a horror. Billy has one last question. It's, do you have a couple movie recommendations of your dad's that you feel don't get uh, enough spotlight shown on them that people should really go watch? Oh, well, Targets, number one, The Body Snatcher, the three Val Luton films, I think. Targets, Bedlam, and uh, Isle of the Dead, I think it is. And then I always enjoy watching um, um, Comedy of Terrors and the Raven with Vincent Price and Peter Lorre. Those um, old men had such a good time spoofing their own boogeyman images. 
it's always fun when you can laugh at yourself. Oh, yes. And they all liked each other immensely and respected each other professionally. And they enjoyed working together and they enjoyed playing practical jokes on one another on the sets. And they just had a good time making those uh, those two films. My father really enjoyed Val Luton, who uh, produced um, the three films I mentioned, um, and Body Snatcher and uh, Bedlam and Isle of the Dead. And um, those are fine films, finely uh, directed, good script. And he said of Val Luton, he saved my soul uh, with good material and, and good films. And then, of course, Targets is my favorite film of all. Where can fans go if they want to learn more about your dad? Well, we have a uh, web page that we're hoping to revamp soon, but it's um, www.carloff.com, and that's our homepage, webpage, family webpage. Well, listeners, you know where you can find more information out about Mr. Karloff? You can find me on Twitter at the handle Moose Media Inc. Sarah, I just want to say it has been an absolute treasure chatting with you today. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I had a good time. And I hope your audience enjoyed it, and it, it was just an absolute pleasure. And I, yeah, I can't thank you enough for coming on today and chatting with me. It was my, it was my uh, pleasure, and you made it delightful. And until next time, horror hounds, mash on. This has been Moose's Monster Bash. Come back for more chills and thrills if you dare. <laughs>